Hey, people, welcome in to another episode of the Hockey Show Podcast. Going to be quite an interesting show this week. Might not run as long because I'm Nick and I'm riding solo today. Lots of scheduling issues coming about. John is on the road with work. He's been traveling and then with just again another really crazy week as far as schedules go where I with my job busy working some evenings. He's on the road traveling with his job. Really the only time we would have had a chance for the two of us to get together would have been during the afternoon of Ash Wednesday. But that's also an issue as well as that if you're listening to this it's Ash Wednesday, and yeah, I the only chance I would have had to get with work and everything going on, the only chance for me to get and be a good little Catholic boy today uh, would have required me to skip church and record with John, unfortunately. Uh, again, being a good old Catholic boy that I am, born and raised Roman Catholic, I couldn't miss today. So it's a solo show. And there is a lot to get to as far as the NHL goes. Uh, Really, let's just start off with the fact that Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, last night they combined on Edmonton's game-tying goal. But in the process, McDavid reached another milestone, which he's pretty much been doing over the past week. He has now reached the 800-point milestone, while Leon Dreisaitl reached the 700-point milestone, both respectively in routes to a comeback win. Now, McDavid and Dreisaitl hit those marks on the same goal, which ended up powering the Oilers to a third-period comeback win, extended the home, uh, the team's home point streak to nine contests. They're now 5-0-4 since January 5th. McDavid, 26 years, 39 days, now the fifth youngest and fifth fastest player in NHL history to record 800 career points, as well as the fastest active skater to reach the mark. Uh, just... Again, if you have been sleeping on Connor McDavid all these years, he's just been racking up the awards and just setting marks here and there. Like his getting to this, as I mentioned, it's he's only he's the fifth fastest to get there. He he got there quicker than both Crosby and Ovechkin, just to put it in in perspective. Uh McDavid has now recorded nineteen career three point periods in the final frame after being held off the score sheet through 40 minutes. Crosby's got 24, Ovechkin 21, Kane 20 are the only active skaters with more. Uh, But the Oilers captain capped off his performance with his 61st game winning goal, which now ties Wayne Gretzky for the second most in franchise history behind only Glenn Anderson, who has 72. McDavid reaching the 700 point mark. Uh, He did it with the season opening hat trick back on October 12th. So he's hitting the 100 point or the 700 point mark and the 800 point mark this season alone. Uh, He just became the sixth player in NHL history to reach both of those milestones within the same year. Doug Gilmore, Pat LaFontaine, Steve Eiserman, Mike Bossy, and Guy LaFleur are the only other players that have hit 700 and 800 points in the same season. McDavid, through 58 games, became the eighth player in league history to require 60 games or fewer to go from 700 to 800, and just the sixth to do so in 58 contests or less. Uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl, who recorded his fifth consecutive 50-assist season as well, are no strangers to reaching these milestones simultaneously uh, after the duo each recorded their 100th career point 
back in 2017, January 18th against Florida. So, yeah, just again, Connor McDavid literally is the best player in the world right now. And this just continues to solidify that. I mean, he added another highlight reel play as well to the ever-growing resume. He spun around two flyer skaters at the blue line 54 seconds before his milestone. So, I mean, this guy is really, truly something else. And if you have not been seeing Connor McDavid play all these years, because let's face it, he's been stuck in Edmonton and the league has done a his poor job at promoting McDavid and Edmonton. I, we could go into this all uh, again over and over and over and over and over like like we have so many times on this show, which is this league has an issue when it comes to marketing and advertising its players because there's no reason that Connor McDavid should be quietly the best player in the world at the sport. You know, we we hear Ovechkin's name all the time, and rightfully so. I mean, the guy is now literally second on the all-time goal-scoring list in his career, chasing Gretzky, which is the name that everybody knows, hockey fan or non-hockey fan. But it doesn't change the fact that the young career that we've seen from Connor McDavid honestly might be better than what we saw from Crosby and Ovechkin at this stage of their careers. I mean, the, the kid is 26, and it feels like he's been in the league for two decades at this point because he got drafted, came right in, and has just been so good for Edmonton. And, you know, to be fair, the Oilers really weren't that playoff-bound team or that good of a team for a long time of the young career of Connor McDavid. They've only recently found the success last year, that Eastern Conference, or that Western Conference, excuse me, uh, that that Western Conference championship run where they ended up losing to the Avalanche, but they gave the Avalanche a hell of a run, and McDavid was a huge part of that. That's, again, why those John Scott comments a while back of, if I'm putting together a playoff team, Connor McDavid is not in my top five of, of people I'm picking, and it's it's just crazy because, again, the only reason that Edmonton is even as good as they are is Connor McDavid. And and the only reason Leon Dreisaitl is as good as he is is Connor McDavid. And Dreisaitl has 100% capitalized and, and made a lot of money off of the fact that he plays with Connor McDavid. That's why the two of them are, are side by side every time McDavid sets a milestone, Dreisaitl does as well because he's right there feeding the best player in the game or vice versa. The best player in the game is feeding him because five players are chasing McDavid and leaving Dreisaitl wide open. So uh, good for him, good for the Oilers, good for the Oilers fan base. I am curious, though, while while I know we're focused on Ovechkin and watching him chase Gretzky and that goal record, I'm curious to see where maybe in 10 years from now, when, when McDavid is 26, where does he sit on these lists? I mean, 800 career points, does he have that chance to catch Wayne Gretzky? I, I mean, if he puts up a 100-point season, see, he's 26. If he can put up 100-point seasons at 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, he might start falling off. But, I mean, this year, the pace that he's on, he's looking to to hit, like, Mario Lemieux level of points in a season. Like, he could have the most points in a season by a player in 
in, in really decades, almost a generation at this point, it feels. Like, that's how good of a season Connor McDavid has been having. And uh, it is wild, though, that that as far as the, the goals race goes, uh, he's not running away with that Rocket Richard. It actually might be a little close, but as far as the best player on the ice goes, like, I, I do not know how you can argue anybody else at this point. It's It's been McDavid's league, in my opinion, for the last really four years, but truthfully so, he should be the marquee player of this league. Like, when ESPN is doing their game night or, or we're getting hockey on TNT or ABC Games of the Week, and we'll talk about uh, the, the outdoor stadium series game, which was uh, a game on ESPN+, Plus, ABC, all of that, a televised game. But to me, Connor McDavid is one of those guys that I still don't understand why he is not really the face of this league. He's just the best player in the league, and it's it's absolutely crazy what he's been doing. Uh, let's talk a little bit as well. There was a trade that transpired uh, from the last time we spoke, and that was Ryan O'Reilly got traded to Toronto, and uh, kind of wild, actually, when you think about this trade because, I mean, at the end of the day, this is for Toronto now. What is this? I believe this is the third time Toronto has traded for another team's captain uh, in the process of of trying to go for it all. So, yeah, so in the Austin Matthews era, the Leafs have traded for a captain at the deadline three times. It has happened three times in the Austin Matthews era of hockey. But all in all, uh, I, you know, Here's the thing, okay? At first, I was going to say I think that Toronto might have given up a lot for Ryan O'Reilly. It was one of those moves that that felt like, okay, you know, Bo Horvat off the board, Tarasenko's off the board, Toronto found their guy, they picked O'Reilly, they made the move, but I had felt that with the season that Ryan O'Reilly had, the return might not be as, as big as it could be have been for O'Reilly, but Toronto made the move, gave up a, a nice little penny, I feel, for Ryan O'Reilly. So so at first, when I saw that trade, I went, all right, Toronto was the team. This was the team that St. Louis was able to trick and the team that talked themselves into, we're getting Ryan O'Reilly, we're getting Ryan, Ryan O'Reilly. Well, O'Reilly, since the trade, uh, actually just scored a hat trick in his third game with Toronto, while Mitch Marner factored on five of six Toronto goals. That tied a Maple Leafs franchise record for assists in a road contest. But O'Reilly has looked pretty good since joining Toronto. Uh, In fact, Marner, O'Reilly, and John Tavares each factored on three of four first-period goals in the opening 12 minutes and nine seconds of their contest. Uh, helping power Toronto to a victory and maintain that three-point lead they have over Tampa Bay, who also won Tuesday uh, for second place in the Atlantic Division. Now, Toronto, I remember a while back, we were talking about this at the start of the year. Is there something to worry about in Toronto? Are there issues in Toronto? What's happening in Toronto? Coach on the hot seat. Are we going to be seeing, is this where we're going to be seeing uh, the first coaching change of the year? What's going to happen with Toronto? And Pierce, things have pretty much balanced out to the good in Toronto. Mitch Marner has just been uh, just going B 
beast mode uh, this season. He's up to 71 points now. He tied the franchise record for most assists as a visitor in the game as well with his five helpers. Uh, that tied Doug Gilmore, who had five helpers in a game back in 1997 for the Leafs. Uh, that performance from Marner as well propelled him into his fourth career 50-assist campaign. He's got 51 on the season. That's the third most in franchise history. Only Daryl Sittler uh, and Salming have more for Toronto. Uh, as far as O'Reilly, his first two goals as a member of the Leafs came 37 seconds apart. Uh, the third shortest span separating a player's first and second career goals with Toronto. Uh, it's This move has actually been one of those moves where, again, like, like I was saying, when I first saw the move, I, I went, oh, man, Toronto gave up a lot for a guy like O'Reilly, but he's been making quite an impact for a team that, I don't want to say needed it, it was must-needed, but helping out Toronto in the way that they truly needed it, which is, you know, they've got Tampa right there behind them. Like I mentioned, that they're holding on to the lead over Toronto, or Toronto is over Tampa. They're 78 points to 75. Now, Tampa does have two games in hand, so they could easily jump Toronto with those two games. Uh but yeah, this this move, I feel like, uh, you know, giving it having the time to let it breathe and seeing O'Reilly play with Toronto, I think, was a good move for the Maple Leafs. Uh, and you know, yeah, it's. I still think it might have been an overpay on the move, but if there is a team that is capable of making that type of overpay. Toronto might be one of them and, and and in that in the Atlantic as well you know if you're Toronto you're you're really you're shaping up because when you start looking at the playoff picture in the east it, it feels almost like you know we know Boston and Carolina we we all pretty much had them penciled in as well at least Carolina we had penciled in as being the top team out of the metropolitan for a lot of us we felt Carolina just one of the best teams in that division no way, you know, yeah, the Rangers, if they took the steps forward, which it appears they did, they weren't going to compete with them. Uh, Pittsburgh and Washington, you know, the age thing. We knew Philly and Columbus weren't really trying to win the division, uh, despite what, you know, Philly might have been trying to sell for so long. The Islanders are just one of those teams where, you know, they're currently sitting in the seventh spot in the playoffs, but as I tend to point out a lot, you got Pittsburgh, Two points behind them, four games in hand. Detroit beat the uh, beat the Capitals last night, so they've now overtaken the Capitals with fifty six games played. So they've still got four games in hand, only sitting three points behind the Islanders, two behind Florida, because you got the Islanders in Florida right now sitting at seven and eight in that wild card race out of the East. Uh, Pittsburgh is just one point behind Florida, two behind the Islanders. I mentioned Detroit, three behind the Islanders, two Florida, Washington's three behind the Islanders to Florida. You still got Buffalo that's got five games in hand on both Florida and the Islanders sitting only five points behind the Islanders for the for the Panthers. So you see it's a cluster. Even in and here's the thing, you can even kind of put the Senators in that case of well, they're seven two and one over their last ten. If and you know, yeah, they lost their last game, but if they can keep stringing together some wins, they're fifty six games played, four games in hand and only sitting uh six points, seven points. Excuse me. 
Yeah, seven points back of the Islanders and six back of the Panthers. So even the Senators have now kind of found themselves in it. Now, do I think the Senators are a legitimate threat? No. Do I think Buffalo is a legitimate threat? You know, I, I've still got good feelings about Buffalo, but truly when I mentioned those teams between the Islanders, the Panthers, the Penguins, Detroit, and Washington, that's your 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 right now out of the East. I, I mean, feeling good about Florida, it seems like they've turned their season around. And listen, that was the President's Trophy winning team last year, so I'm I'm still not really... If you talked to me a month ago, I might have been selling on Florida, but it seems like they've, you know, they're still they're still not a great team. But if you were asking me out of all those teams, which one I think has the best chance at being the seven seed, it's Florida to me. I think the Panthers have the best chance at being that seven seed, which would still put them up against Carolina. Uh, but then when it comes to that eight seed, I, I know I wish John was here to talk a little bit about Detroit especially following that win against the Capitals, who have now lost five in a row. Washington really struggling, and uh, they will be getting Alexander Ovechkin back soon after he went home to Russia to be with his family and deal with the passing of his father last week. So I I know Ovechkin's coming back. He's going to be in the lineup. uh, I think tomorrow night he should be back, but definitely by this weekend when the Capitals and the Rangers play in D.C. for that game on ABC. But I'm looking at Detroit. I I do. I like Detroit's chances. Uh, Are they going to take that step? I don't know. But but really, to me, when it comes to that eight seed, I'm looking at the Islanders and the Penguins. And I know the Islanders just beat the Penguins. The the, the Penguins are four, five, and one over their last ten. They haven't really looked too good. They've lost three in a row. They're an old team, and I know this is going to infuriate some Islander fans when I go, yeah, but the Islanders are old. Uh, the Penguins are older, but I just, it's hard to bet against the Penguins and the Capitals, both of them in the same season. Now, I, I you know, again, we have said, when are the wheels finally going to fall off of these teams? They're, they're, they're that old that when is everything going to catch up to them? I think as far as Washington goes, it's, it's catching up to them. They've been unable to score goals. Their power play has gone absolutely silent. Even with Ovechkin there, it's been silent. So I think the Capitals are the ones that are showing the most issues. The Penguins, it's it's hard to still bet against them right now. I do like Jari. Uh, I, I do kind of like more of their team as opposed to Washington, which is just really clearly set up with offense first offense first and how do we get Ovechkin to that goal record so I I don't have a lot of faith in the Capitals but it, but again it is really hard to bet against those two teams let alone one of them at once but both of them at the same time because just that track record that they have that it's it's hard to think that yeah, okay, both of them are going to miss the playoffs if 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 one of them does, you know, let alone one of them. So, uh, you know, sorry Islander fans, I know I know you got to be feeling good right now, but it, there's still that that cluster there at the bottom, but also it raises the question of the teams playing in for that wild card spot cuz again, it, it looks like Carolina and Boston that's locked up. Boston's going to be one, Carolina going to be two. I I know the Devils and the Rangers are are fairly within striking distance of Carolina. 
uh, as far as the Atlantic goes, you know, Toronto's sitting at 78 points, Boston's at 91, which uh, quickest it took a team to get to the 90-point uh, plateau. So Boston just having a, a record-shattering season as well in the Atlantic. Do you want to be that 8-seed or that 7-seed going into these playoffs? Like, do you want to be that? I know I saw an Islanders uh, blog post where they where they were asking the questions after the Islanders played Boston the other day, and the Bruins just showed what the Bruins have been all year when they play teams that are far less superior to them, uh, and just so not even near their level of play. We saw what happened, and the question was being asked, which John raised on this show. Do you even want to make the playoffs as that eight seed when you know you're going to be facing the Bruins in Boston in a best of seven series? And yeah, it's the playoffs, best of seven, things change in a series, one-on-one matchups, but as that eight seed in a one-on-one matchup against the Bruins, do you really think you got a chance? And I saw some Islander fans doing that. Even if we lost four games in a row and we got swept out, it's worth it. Is it? Is it? I mean... It's great you get there, but do you want to get there and just be made to look like you you never even belonged? Uh, you know, so yeah, I guess that's the question now is, do you want to get in as that eight seed? And and even if you get in as, as the seven seed, do you really want to face the Carolina Hurricanes? Who, again, just, that's a team that is on paper due to the age considered old, but the real thing that makes their team seem old are the guys that are like 38, 36, 37, who are their depth guys, not their first line guys. And that's another thing with like the Bruins, like the Islanders are rolling out 33 year olds as first liners. Carolina is rolling, rolling out 22 year olds on the first line, 30 year olds as death surrounded by youth further down. And Brett Burns of course is playing into that. So like Carolina has got like four old guys who are scattered throughout the lineup, while when you look at teams like the Islanders, the Penguins, and Detroit, those are your first and second lines, the old guys. That concerns me. It concerns me. So we'll see what happens there, but, you know, the playoff race is definitely heating up, and, uh, yeah, last night the the Capitals falling to the Red Wings really continued that 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 race for the, that 7-8 and eight spot. As I mentioned, the Red Wings, they got three goals, including one on the penalty kill. So Capitals given up another shorthanded goal. That's the second shorty they've given up in this time span as well. Uh, Detroit has now moved to within two points of Idle Florida for the second wild card spot. Mentioned the four games in hand on both wild card teams as well with the Islanders in Florida. Now, Sutter recorded his third career multi goal outing, his fifth goal in his last five games. Uh, after posting just six tallies through his first 48 contest as well. So uh, Detroit playing really good. Dylan Larkin's playing really good over there as well. It's it's something, again, just something to keep an eye on. I, that, that, that playoff race there out of the uh, East is really going to shape up uh, and be quite interesting down the stretch. Now, on the other hand, where, the other side of things, when you look at the West, uh, Calgary, you know, in the race for Minnesota at the eighth seed, uh, Calgary sitting at 63 points while Minnesota at 67. But but really, it seems like the West is starting to 
define 100%. You know, we're looking at Dallas, Winnipeg, Colorado seem to be the teams coming out of the Central. Uh, the Pacific seems to be Vegas, LA, and Seattle. You got Edmonton that's, you know, battling there with Seattle to get into that. Seattle, you know, but, but it seems like those are kind of the teams that are locked in. Minnesota seems pretty locked in as well. Calgary trying to make that push, sitting on the outside at number nine. But then at 10, you got Nashville, 60 points. They've got the two games in hand, so it really doesn't mean anything at this point because they wouldn't even catch it. They'd just come jump Calgary, but they couldn't catch Minnesota. Uh, St. Louis, they're starting to sell, sitting at 55 points. And then you get to the real fall off there with Vancouver, Arizona, San Jose, Chicago, and Anaheim. Uh, and speaking of Chicago, do want to mention that it does appear Jonathan Taves dealing with long-term COVID. He's been placed on IR probably not going to be moved anytime before the deadline, which we're fast approaching next next week, next Friday, uh, the trade deadline. So, yeah, it, it appears that O'Reilly is going to be locked in, or not O'Reilly, excuse me, um, Taves is going to be locked in and, and probably staying in Chicago. Uh, Patrick Kane seems like he's got two teams on his trade list, and the, the Rangers include one of them. How that happens, I know I've seen some of the articles where people are like, well, if he... Demands the Rangers, it's a possibility, but yeah, I just, I don't see it happening. So there's the possibility Patrick Kane doesn't move as well and could really make things even more hairy in Chicago. But uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're seeing the West start to really figure things out while the East, on the other hand, uh, looks like the Metro, looks like the Atlantic or one through three seeds are being shaped. Uh, looks like Rangers-Devils is going to be a first round matchup, which... Could be really fun. Uh, as I mentioned with Toronto, they're they're not going to catch Boston, so it's more of them trying to adding Ryan O'Reilly and whatever pieces they can add by the deadline to get ready for a, 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 a head-to-head matchup with Tampa. And we'll see what Tampa does at the deadline. And as far as, you know, their, their trades and all of that, like I mentioned, the deadline fast approaching, so uh, I, I think things are going to start shaping up and... Uh, shaking out and all of that uh, craziness is going to start really picking up over the next week, obviously, since, you know, we're like 10 days away from the deadline. Uh, All right. Let's talk a little bit about the winter, or not the winter classic, but the stadium series. Uh, Hurricanes took on the Capitals this past weekend, and fans spent the day tailgating, barbecuing, celebrating, Carolina hockey in the community and Carter Finley Stadium uh, was the place that this game transpired at. Sold out crowd, 56,961 fans. Uh, happy home fans as well as the Hurricanes got the victory in the franchise's first ever outdoor game appearance. Uh, Nekis led a trio of Hurricanes forwards, recorded multiple points. Just a, a game where Freddie Anderson, he stopped 24-25, held the Capitals off the score sheet until Tom Wilson's goal at 10-32 of the third period. Uh, just a, a game where we saw what the Hurricanes are on a national stage. They are a good team. We saw Washington struggle. But all in all, I got to say, I thought this was a pretty good outdoor game, despite the fact that the game wasn't really close. It was all Hurricanes in this game. I, I thought it was a good game. I thought it was a cool setting. I liked the energy from the crowd. Uh, I mean, the Hurricanes entered Carter-Finley Stadium dressed in vintage golf 
gear and they closed the show with that storm surge while keeping the golf theme going all the way to the end. So that was kind of cool. Uh, but the Hurricanes did become the first team to defeat the Capitals in an outdoor game while becoming the 15th team to win in their first ever outdoor game appearance. Home teams are now 18-16-3 in NHL outdoor games. Uh, that includes a 2-0 mark so far this year between uh, Boston's win and Pittsburgh's uh, Boston's win over Pittsburgh in the Winter Classic. Here's a crazy fact for you as well. Derek Stefan, uh, you might forget, he plays on the Hurricanes. He's now improved to 4-0 in outdoor games and became the seventh skater in NHL history to win as many contests outdoors. The only player with more is his former New York Ranger teammate, Ryan McDonough. He's 5-0-0 in outdoor games. Uh, Ripkin, the bat dog, got to give him a little bit of love. A six-year-old, a black Labrador retriever, was has grown a big social media following by retrieving bats for the uh, Burham Bulls, or the Durham Bulls, I'm sorry, Burham Bulls, Durham Bulls. Uh, he kicked he uh, he kicked off the uh, stadium football, or I should say, kicked off the stadium series at NC State Football Stadium when he dropped the ceremonial first pup, as they called it. Uh, Backstrom and Jordan Stahl did that. Jake Owen was the performance. They stuck him during the first intermission. Uh, actually, had a stage situated in the middle of the all student section of the crowd, so that was really co- cool. But yeah, I mean. Good for the NHL, a nice little win, I'd say. Uh, again, the game overall wasn't close, but I did enjoy the night. I enjoyed the festivities. I thought Carolina did a really good job. I thought it was a, a, a fun event and and really, you know, good for the NHL. Uh, good for the city of... Uh, of Carolina or the state of Carolina. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, my, my take on these outdoor games really is still kind of the same. It's like these things are set up for the city that they're in. The fan bases, the teams, they kind of operate similar to that of, uh, really the all-star game in that uh, unless you're a fan, uh, unless you live in that city, like, What's the draw? What's the draw for me to watch these outdoor games? What what's the point of it? You know, the luster of the outdoor 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 thing. It's it's a little lost these days. It's not as, you know, it's not as cool as it was when they first started doing it. Uh you know, these these stadium series games are like the red-headed stepchild of the Winter Classic. That's how they spawned. They were they were the spin-off of that. Uh so, you know, good for Carolina. That's great. You know, they did their thing. Uh, but, you know, I, I guess I guess now the, 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 the conversation shifts towards who's the next one, who's the next one. And I saw Greg Wyshynski from ESPN and a lot, of, a lot of other people on Twitter were mentioning that at that stadium series game, there was a lot of talk that the Devils would be involved in the next one for next season for 23-24. And if that was the case, the rumblings have been Devils Rangers Stadium Series at MetLife Stadium, which, as we learn from the la- from every other time the Rangers have done an outdoor game, even if it's done in New York, doesn't matter if it's done at Yankee Stadium, City Field, 
wherever it's done. They could do it in Central Park. Hell, they could do it at Rockefeller Center, the ice rink there. The New York Rangers have a clause in their contract with Madison Square Garden that they play their eighty one they play their forty one home games at MSG. There's no way around it. They get 41 home games at MSG. So the Rangers will always be the road team in these games. And if you're doing it at MetLife Stadium, I think that's actually kind of cool. Like, that could be a really cool setting. A Rangers-Devils rivalry is always fun. But even as a Rangers fan, I sit here and I tell you that while that's cool, I'm also like, eh, it is what it is. Great, an outdoor game, wonderful. Groovy, let's, I guess let's do this again. So, yeah. That's kind of my take on it. I mean, like, again, you know, I think it's for the teams and the cities and the fans that are there. It's great. You know, you you saw it in Carolina this weekend. The amount of people that come out. The, the, the boom that that economy gets in that community. Like, that's what these things are good for. It draws the media attention. And if you're going to do the Rangers and Devils, it's a great way to draw media attention on... Well, right now, the Devils, who are a young team, becoming even better. Uh, the Rangers are one of your original six teams, so there, there's always a following there. No matter where they are, there, there's a fan base that wants to tune in for them. So, yeah, uh, that's that's the latest rumor for next year is that we could get Devils-Rangers at MetLife Stadium. So, yeah. Uh, really quickly, again, I mentioned this is going to be a short episode with John not being here. You know, I can only talk these things so much by myself but the last thing I want to mention uh, is just some of the news and notes from around the league uh, looks like Christian or Christian geez man like see I don't have John and I just can't speak looks like Penguins goaltender Tristan Jari uh, he's back he returned against the uh, Islanders so uh, he's back Penguins got their number one goalie while it didn't really work out well for him it's still you know He's at least back. Uh, Matthew Barzell is considered uh, week-to-week with a lower body injury as well. Uh, The team announced that the other day, so we'll see what happens with that as the Islanders get set to take on the Winnipeg Jets and continue their push to try and uh, crack into the playoffs this year. And also, there were some signings. Uh, The LA Kings, they handed uh, Mikey Anderson an eight-year contract extension uh, I believe we kind of talked about that a little bit last week, but the other one that I know for a fact we did not talk about, and again, I wish John was here, uh, the Red Wings, they handed out uh, Ali Mata, got a two-year extension with the Red Wings. Uh, the 28-year-old has five goals, 12 assists, 49 games, and it's a $3 million extension that's going to run through the 2024-25 season. A uh, nice little move for the Red Wings to lock things up there with him, uh, keep him there. And, and again, I... I've, 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 if you've been listening to the show for a while, I've been a big component of the Red Wings needing to take that next step, and I feel that they um, have been doing it. And with the games in hand, I, I'm curious to see where this team goes. And I'm really curious to see what this team does at the deadline. Uh, is Jacob Verona going to be used as trade bait? Is he going to just stick around since he's been recalled and all of that? Uh, so, yeah, uh, there you go. A little news and notes, uh, kind of wrapping things up this week on the Hockey Show podcast. So, yeah, we'll have a regular show again for you next week. John will be back, uh, and it will definitely be a big deep dive into the trade deadline. Uh, Who knows? Maybe we'll try and get a guest on the show as well to talk about the deadline or if any trades happen prior to that. 
Uh, yeah, you can uh, follow me. The only thing I have to plug is still my social media. You can follow me on Twitter, wonderful underscore radio. And I know you can follow uh, John JT Evans on Twitter as well. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, and we'll talk to you again next week. If you want me to tell you that all is well I can sure make something up But you brought me back here Just to set my mind at ease To live again, to laugh out loud To find myself some peace